Paxton Quigley is rolling out the green carpet, talking to the creme de la creme of innovators and influencers who are shaping the world of cannabis and culture. Welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. Well, hello to all of you cannabis aficionados out there and, and welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. Uh, many of you don't know this, but I recently wrote a novel called Just Try Me. And for those of you who like, shall we say, spicy intrigue, I think you'll enjoy it. And Just Try Me is available on Amazon and paperback and, and Kindle. And I'd like to tell you what one reviewer said, happens to be a man. He said, "Is if the action doesn't grab you, the sex will. He called it a page turner of anticipation as the plot twists and turns with seductive circumstances of women in dangerous circumstances and women with extraordinary strength. I think that sounds pretty good. Uh, Just Try Me is available in paperback and Kindle on Amazon. Please enjoy it. Hope you'll buy it. Uh, tell us what you think about it. And now to our guest today, uh, a favorite of mine. He's a New York-based attorney named David Holland. I've spoken to him uh, and had good conversations before, at least three of them over the last two years. He's one of the founders of the New York City Cannabis Industry Association, and, and we'll learn more about that later. He's the executive and legal director of Empire State Normal, and he uh, was former legal counsel to the great magazine called High Times Magazine. And today we're going to be talking about the, the intersection of the ongoing national protests against police brutality, mass incarceration, and how they intersect with cannabis prohibition. Sounds like a lot, but it's very important. And we're going to examine the link between the war on drugs in which cannabis prohibition plays it plays a really huge role and how it has resulted, unfortunately, in the excessive militarization of local police and law enforcement. David Holland, welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. And how are you Thank today? Thank you very much. I'm doing great and very excited to be able to speak with you, particularly at this moment in time, because so much is happening and it's so important to the movement, so important to Canvas and so important to our society. Yes, yeah, so uh, I'm going to start, I guess, asking you some questions. I think we all agree that legalization of cannabis will, will not put an end to this discriminatory policing against communities of color and, and other minorities, but it would clearly be a step in the right direction. And I think it would help decrease the country's massive prison population. So let's begin by talking about uh, marijuana legislation and and the movement for social justice and and how they how they intersect. Can you do that for me? Well, you know that's a that's a tall order, but I'll give you the best I can um, because it covers so much. But but we got a know, half hour. We have a half hour, so we can enjoy <laughs> ourselves. You can talk as much as you want. There go we ahead. go. I'll, I'll, I'll try to I'll try to keep it brief, but um, yeah. So you know, cannabis prohibition really starts fundamentally from the from a notion of racism and classism. And going back to the 1920s and 1936 with the Marijuana Stamp Tax Act, it was really designed to concentrate the power of the wealthy 
and criminalize those people that were involved with cannabis on lower levels, being lower level farmers, lower level users and so forth. And, and the way that it got demonized was really to um, Harry Ainslinger tying racism and xenophobic fear to the issue of cannabis to really try to make society target uh, uh, black and Latinos uh, populations that were associated with cannabis. And that's carried on through through the 1970s. Um, you certainly have heard uh, uh, Nixon's former counsel, John Ehrlichman, say that it was really the Controlled Substances Act and the Schedule One designation, which marijuana sits in, was really designed to break up those groups that are opposed to the war and to really persecute uh, uh, not only what were considered radicals, but, but uh, people of color and the black population, um, as he called it. And he says at the end of a quote to Harper's Magazine, you know, did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. It was used as a means to suppress dissent and suppress social movements. So when you tie that into where, where are we today with this whole uh, George Floyd protests and Black Lives Matters and all these, uh, I won't say ancillary, but uh, related movements that are dealing to issues of race. Um, no, but cannabis is at the very forefront of that because in reality, 87.5% of all arrests that are taking place at least in New York State, are people of color, even though the usage between white uh, white populations and co people of color are exactly the same. So um, it, it very much at the heart of what's happening today is what has uh, been endemic through the cannabis prohibition movement, which was to suppress people and their voices and their movements. You know, there, there's uh, the racial disparity is so great. And I, I, I've got here some figures that I'd, I'd, I'd like to read. Uh, that come from the uh, American Civil Liberties Union, that weed arrests account for over half of all drug arrests in the United States. More than 6 million arrests occurred between 2010 and 2018, and black people are four to five times more likely to be arrested for marijuana possession than whites in every state, including those with legalized marijuana. And this is despite roughly equal usage rate. Of these millions of arrests, 88% were for simply possessing marijuana, no intent to sell. Social justice is what it's all about because people of color have been the targets of the racism and social suppression, which was brought about falsely by the cannabis laws. And that goes all the way back to Harry Ainslinger in 1936 um, and how he tied uh, as power was concentrating to the hands of the wealthy where they were getting farm subsidies and timber subsidies to, you know, things like newspapers that otherwise could have been printed on hemp or going to the timber industry. And that's William Randolph Hearst and that crew. Um, Ainslinger decided to demonize um, and tie xenophobic fear of people of color are all of a sudden out there uh, uh, threatening society by cannabis use. And that continued on into the 1970s with the passage of the Federal Controlled Substances Act that temporarily put cannabis in Schedule One, and Schedule One status um, has remained. And John Ehrlichman, who was Nixon's White House counsel, previously stated that the real reason it was there was a means to suppress social dissent and social movements that were happening in both the, the hippie population as well as the black community. And uh, it was used as a means to put those people down and those movements down. 
And he ends his quote to Harper's Magazine saying, did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Uh, its, its sole purpose was to vilify people for their use of cannabis when the real goal was to uh, put down uh, political dissent. So that's at the heart of the movements that we're seeing now with Black Lives Matter and George Floyd, George Floyd protests and so forth. Um, and, and it's critical that people understand that cannabis has been at the very forefront of the, uh, it's the, let's say the primary blade of the Swiss army knife that law enforcement has used to be able to oppress and suppress populations, particularly people of color. You know, I don't think people realize exactly uh, what's really going out there in terms of statistics and how many people are being arrested. So I've got some figures here that came from the American Civil Liberties Union, uh, and I'd like to read this. Weed arrests account for over half of all drug arrests in the United States. More than 6 million arrests occurred between 2010 and 2018, and Black people are four to five times more likely to be arrested for marijuana possession than whites in every state, including those with legalized marijuana. And this is despite roughly equal usage rates. Of these millions of arrests, 88% were for simply possessing marijuana no intent to sell. Now, did, did that mean that, uh, uh, I don't understand it quite what they were doing. Uh, do the officers have a quota that every day they have to arrest so many numbers of people and it's for them easy to go into a black community and see some guys hanging out or some women hanging out and going up to them and uh, finding out that they're they're you know got a, a joint in their pocket. What's what's that all about? Well, it's a good question, and I'm not sure that I can be the the final answer on that. But I've worked with law enforcement for the last thirty years. Um, they do obviously promotion is tied to the number of arrests and experience that an officer has. Um, and what I was saying earlier about the Swiss Army knife is you know cannabis has been one of the easiest. Uh, alleged offenses out there to be able to prosecute. You know, they can say, the officers will often say, I smelled marijuana in the air and approached the person and had them empty out their pockets and I found a joint, or they were carrying a weapon, or they were carrying, you know, a knife. It's been used as the multifaceted tool to, to you know, uh, target people for really what would be considered at that point with the statistics you just read from the ACLU. It's nothing more than harassment. And, um, but it's very effective. And what often happens is people are terrified uh, when this happens. And they, you know, when asked, where'd you get the drugs or how'd you come across this or that, you know, they, they readily cough up information. So it's been a very effective tool for law enforcement to build further investigations from the momentary encounter. So that's part of it. Um, and that's certainly uh, with New York City, particularly where you saw the broken windows campaign um, stop and frisk, that, that, that was very much what was about, was really infiltrating communities and leaving them in states of terror. And, you know, people will often, whatever it takes just to get out of that momentary thing, will say what they have to or take a guilty plea, even though they're not guilty, or, you know, there, there would be better results that they could obtain. Um, so it accounts for a lot of those simple possessory arrests, and it's terrible. So, all right, so a police officer uh, arrests uh, uh, Joe Smith. 
what happens then? Do, do they go before a, a judge, a jury? Uh, are, where are they left? And a lot of these people don't even know what to do. So what happens to them? Are they just incarcerated and that's it? Well, no, it's not quite that anymore. That used to certainly be the scenario. And I, I can, um, speaking on a New York state level, uh, New York passed its decriminalization laws in 2019. So people are allowed to possess up to uh, uh, two ounces of marijuana. And in doing so, um, they may pay a fine rather than actually face a criminal penalty of a misdemeanor or simple possession. Um, in the old days, which is before 2019, you know, people would be criminally convicted. And even if they served no time, um, the collateral consequences of that were terrible. You know, it gave you a criminal record, which then made it hard to find a job, which then gave you a bad credit rating, which made you ineligible for rental agreements and mortgages. And the, the snowball effect of it was just so insidious because that 88 uh, percent arrest rate that you're seeing is 88 percent of those collateral consequences fell on a, a very small group of people that constituted a very large population of those arrested. So it's a that that was generally how it worked. And now, while uh, decriminalization, people herald that as a new beginning, it's really not because there are different ways to get around the civil fines that are imposed and still create an arrest. And there's no guidelines or um, removal of discretion from the hands of the encountering officer who's who's then encounters a, a potential defendant. So legalization is really the only way to begin uh, to throw a pebble into the pond of what would be social justice and watch the ripple effects start to correct some of the problems that have been inflicted on these populations for decades. Interesting. Uh, David, we're going to have to take a break for a, a commercial. We'll be right back. Folks, we've been talking to David Holland. Uh, he knows a lot about cannabis and you're going to learn more about what is happening. More High Society with Paxton Quigley coming up after we hear from our privileged sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Plant Profits. I'm Vern Davis, and I'd like to introduce you to some of the most forward-thinking executives and companies in the cannabis industry. We call them the Plant Profits. Each week on Plant Profits, we talk to the people at the forefront of the industry, creating real companies and career opportunities. We'll learn from the people leading the charge into the promised land of profit. Plant Profits is powered by Protus Global, people solutions firm that has been building companies, changing lives since 1995. P-R-O-T-I-S global.com. Protus Global. Find Plant Profits now at CannabisRadio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots and close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Paxton Quigley is back talking to the connoisseurs of cannabis and culture on High Society, only on CannabisRadio.com. We've been talking to David Holland and He's a lawyer, and we're particularly talking about what's happening out there in terms of protests and arrests, and also about social injustice. David, what do you think is going to happen in the next, let's say, three to five years in in terms of of, uh, legalization of cannabis? Well, I think both on a state and national level, you're going to see legalization take place. Um, I think that more than a trillion dollars has been spent on the war on drugs, and most most people uh, that have any, you know, knowledge about it would say it's been an abject failure with at least regard to cannabis. Um, more than 300,000 people are employed in the cannabis industry today, despite the fact that it's federally illegal, and it, it, it accounts for uh, what will be tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions of dollars once legalization happens not only in the United States, but on the international uh, uh, marketplace as well, as we're seeing a number of countries start to engage in international commerce in that regard. Um, the therapeutic levels of, of what can be done with cannabis are uh, constantly being explored and perfected upon uh, every day. So I think that that's likely to happen and that the states are no longer the prosecution and persecution of cannabis, particularly upon people of color, no longer is being tolerated. And I think, again, that is one of the um, underpinning uh, sentiments that's going to come out through the George Floyd movement and the Black Lives Matter movement, is that people are tired of watching communities targeted on an irrational basis for the irrational placement um, uh, of this drug into the criminal category of laws. Now, we've got the upcoming elections. Um, So far, Biden has not been, shall we say, uh, pro-marijuana. Do you think at all he'll change his tune? You know, it's hard to say. Um, If he does change his tune, it's solely to try to garner votes. I don't believe that it would be a sincere effort on his part, and therefore I would be a bit wary of what he's selling um, as his latest platform. Um, Trump, on the other hand, is a states' rights guy, um, and he has not voiced particular objection uh, that has been consistent over the years with regard to cannabis. So it's possible that he uh, may be the one to push it to national legalization, and I think that he would be doing that to garner votes as well rather than just out of a sincere commitment. But either way, I think it's day is coming, and regardless of what uh, obstacles that politicians may throw up, um, you're seeing society as a whole saying no more. 
and we want to decriminalize and we do not want to see people persecuted. And you're now seeing people openly walking around consuming marijuana despite any violation of the law on a state or federal level. Now, in terms of the world, are there any, and I don't know if you, you, you have any knowledge about this, but in terms of the world, are uh, there are some countries that are so negative toward uh, cannabis legalization as, as we are at this point. What is happening on a worldwide basis for uh, the legalization of, of uh, marijuana? Well, uh, there are countries that are far worse than the United States. There are countries in Asia where it's a death penalty to be in possession of cannabis. So uh, there was a woman that uh, I believe was traveling to Australia. She w had had uh, left there with uh, a surfboard bag that apparently contained uh, cannabis in it and was going, I believe, to Indonesia and is facing a life sentence there. This happened a few years back. I think she's actually serving a life sentence there. Uh, so there are far worse countries in the United States. But I think the the, the insidious part of the United States policy is that it's not based on any scientific fact that it's been prohibited, but it has been based on that xenophobic fear so well cultivated by Ainslinger and the, the, the racist enforcement policies that have made it so um, effective in decimating communities. And so part of the social justice movement, you'll hear a lot of the, the term social equity and Illinois has it in their cannabis program, their adult use program, as does Massachusetts, and New York is proposing it well. It's to take some of the revenue generated from the cannabis industry itself and reinvest it into those communities most devastated by the drug wars and to give priority to those people that incurred uh, convictions and, and prosecutions uh, and give them an opportunity to be some of the early market players in the adult use industry. Um, and that's just a, a means by which to, uh, on, on one small level, resurrect, or not resurrect, but correct some of the wrongs that have been inflicted over the decades from the drug wars. What are some of the most liberal countries out there in terms of uh, cannabis where uh, one could actually uh, almost, you know, buy it on the street if they wanted or in, in a pharmacy? Who are, who are the leaders out there? Well, on a nationally legalized, I believe it's Portugal and Uruguay have actually uh, legalized it nationally. Um, certainly in the Netherlands, as famed, it's tolerated, though illegal, and you have the coffee shops. Um, Spain, um, and there's Spanibus, and, you know, which is a big cannabis festival called Spanibus that takes place in Barcelona. Uh, they certainly have a high degree of tolerance, though it's not national policy. So it varies depending on which European countries. Uh, Romania is very big on hemp and CBD. Um, so it varies country by country, but there's certainly a, an enormous worldwide acceptance, not of cannabis, but of the reality that it's always been here and it no longer makes sense to continue to persecute it like it has been. So do you think uh, because of, of the, the popularity, or, the, or, or I don't know if it's exactly popular, but of, of CBD coming along, you know, you have CBD lotions and, um, and all the, those kinds of things where, you know, it helps with the pain and going to sleep. Do you think CBD uh, has had a, a, a real a way to change what's going on in the United States? Well, certainly... Um 
in, in short, yes, I do. I think CBD has been realized to be a cannabinoid compound that has tremendous effect that are non-psychoactive. Um, and that's one of the reasons why Mitch McConnell, of all people, ended up um, having uh, pushing hard under the 2018 Farm Bill to have it legalized. And um, so uh, it, you know, it has a um, palliative effect. It certainly helps people with a variety of conditions and it's desensitized people to the idea that people can grow cannabis plants when uh, all the byproducts, putting CBD aside, but the fiber and the seeds that are used in cooking and so forth are used by billions of people around the world daily. So uh, I do think that that's been a tremendous um, toe in the water, if you will, for the United States society and politicians to get used to uh, slowly wading into the cannabis pool on an international and national level. Uh, and, and I think that will continue. I don't think that that's likely to change. And there, I don't think we're likely to see a reversion at this point. David, we need to pause again for a commercial. So uh, we'll be back with David Holland. He's a, uh, a lawyer and knows a lot about cannabis. More High Society with Paxton Quigley coming up after we hear from our privileged sponsors. Vampire, a show dedicated to exploring the many potential therapeutic uses of the cannabis plant. Once a cornerstone of healing and now making a heroic comeback, cannabis has the potential to promote health and well-being, bring the body back to homostasis, and foster recovery for a healthier way of living. Empire focuses on a diverse range of serious health issues, presenting views ranging from those of patients and their loved ones through those of researchers and medical professionals. Welcome to Empire. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Trends and technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more on the cutting edge of cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The Cutting Edge of Cannabis, consulted by the American Cannabis Company. Paxton Quigley is back talking to the connoisseurs of cannabis and culture on High Society, only on CannabisRadio.com. Now, David, I'm just wondering, uh, what will the f what, what do you think the future will be like uh, in terms of of uh, uh, people walking around literally on the streets, maybe smoking marijuana, or there will be more and more uh, restaurants that will allow it? Do you do you foresee that? So it it, it will almost be like uh, uh, like drinking wine or maybe having a scotch. Is it, it, it will it get like that ever? Do you think? Oh, I absolutely do. I, I think that certainly um, from my perspective in New York City, 
uh, I see people walking around regularly, um, uh, openly consuming. And I see that of every walk of life and of every nationality and color. So even those people that have been systematically marginalized uh, as people of color by prosecutions are openly consuming with less fear than they did before. Um, their New York's uh, own, you know, legalization bills have contained things like catering licenses and delivery permits and things of that nature, uh, where you can have pop-up shops that may allow cons uh, cannabis consumption and cannabis sales. So I, absolutely, I think that is not only the future, I think that that is more likely the immediate future of the next year or two. Now, going back now to the, the police and, and all that, uh, I understand that in your city, New York City, that people are demanding cuts, literally, in, in the nearly $11 billion police budget, which is a hell of a lot of money. Uh, and, and, and people in other cities are doing the same. Tell us why New York is so significant in this area. Well, you know, I think it's a misnomer to say defund the police because it's not people saying let's abolish the police, even though I saw a news report today that the city council of Minneapolis has actually proposed doing such a thing. And that's the site where George Floyd was was uh, brutally killed and assassinated, if you will, by the cop that kneeled on his neck. Um, what I think the goal is, is to uh, people want to see instead of $11 billion, which is used just to uh, amass uh, a great wealth of arrests, if you will, on the part of the NYPD, it's reallocating those funds to things like, uh, to those that believe that there are drug addiction issues that cannabis leads to, to drug education programs, and to those people that believe that there are family issues re related to parents that may consume cannabis, you know, getting into uh, evaluation programs to make sure that there's no threat to the home or to to the family and, and and those types of measures. So it's it's more directly implementing those funds on a grassroots level to address the grassroots problem that an eleven billion dollar police budget does not. Interesting that you say that. Now I'd like to ask you uh, why you formed the New York City Cannabis Business Association. Well, so thank you for asking. The New York City Cannabis Industry Association is um, what we are doing. It's really a, an enormous think tank and membership program where we are going uh, across the entire spectrum of the industry to uh, which we're talking to people, you know, that are below ground, above ground, and even those people who think they're on the moral high ground about what New York City as a, a cannabis industry should look like with legalization. And the reason why that's important is New York City has been uh, often um, declared to be the world's greatest single cannabis market and it's the world's largest cannabis market. So we figured we would lead the world if we could help the politicians and the industry and the communities come to a sense of understanding about what are the priorities, goals, and practices that ought to be implemented to best uh, serve those interests across the industry in those communities, in the city, and, and lead to the world, continue to maintain the world's largest marketplace. Hmm. Now, uh, when, when one joins the organization, what will the people who are members, what will they be doing? How will they be affecting uh, what you want to put in, into effect? Well, sure. Not only do we, um, you know, uh, reach out and, and have great interaction with the members, but we have general education programs where we put on panel discussions with people from a variety of disciplines and backgrounds within the industry 
looking at problems. Like one of them was ironically, uh, it sounds so dry, the tax issue. But, uh, you know, what should the tax rate be? Well, that sounds like, you know, you'd rather have your teeth pulled with no Novocaine until you realize the social equity movement is directly tied to the tax rate. And if you look at all the other states that have set a tax rate too high, the, the, uh, the illicit market continues on, the legacy market, if you will, continues on uninterrupted. And there's very, very little revenue going to the social equity program, which was the very genesis of the idea of the adult legalization. So we do programming like that, and we have members are entitled to join committees and engage in those conversations. And our goal is to, with each committee, come out with at least one policy paper a year that we share across the entire industry, uh, in, in, in both nationally and in the, in the um, legislatures, trying to affect change and trying to bring a voice and, and a serious consideration to that which we were always discarded. Um, it's not that long ago that I would talk to legislators who would immediately leave the table when I brought the word cannabis. Oh, my goodness. I, you know, I wish we could go for another half hour, but unfortunately we can't. Uh, please give out the website so people can go to, to find out more about the association and join it. What, what is the website? It's www.nyccia.org. And we have a sister organization, the Hudson Valley, which is hvcia.org. So nyccia.org and hvcia.org. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for being with us today, David Holland. And, and we're going to have you back on again, I'm sure, many, many more times. Thank you well, again. Thank yes. you for this opportunity. Certainly, certainly. And uh Friends and folks out there, please remember to get a copy of my book titled Just Try Me. It's available in paperback or Kindle and Amazon. And we'd like to thank all of you out there and invite you to stay in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn by going to High Society with Paxton Quigley. Until next week, please stay healthy, balanced, and stay in touch. I'm Paxton Quigley. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.